Today, Curtis will be speaking from Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Thank you, Sharon, for reading. When you think of God, I would love it if you immediately connected grace with God. I'd love it if that were your first thought. When you think of God, you think of grace. Grace, God giving us what we have not deserved. God giving us what we never could earn. To fully appreciate grace, God gave us a series of pictures in the Bible. You know, we can hear words and we can hear concepts, but I I think there's something about pictures, especially word pictures, that help us not just kind of mentally comprehend a subject so deep as God's grace, but also help us feel it and appreciate it. And so we've called kind of these word pictures snapshots of grace. And so two weeks ago, we we started with the first kind of image or icon there. We started with a courtroom, and we saw a snapshot of grace through the courtroom. We got a glimpse of God giving us what we never could have earned, what we did not deserve, when God declared us not guilty but righteous. The, The Bible word for that is justification. We've been declared not guilty but righteous. This is God's grace. This is a snapshot One way that God wanted us to understand his grace was through this kind of courtroom setting. Pastor Evan taught us last week of another setting that that God wants us to kind of see it through the lens of, and that is through the, the lens of a relationship. So we got a snapshot of God's grace through relationship. And and the picture is this where maybe there have been friends or family and there's been some sort of break or fracture in that relationship. And People are kind of going their own way. There's hostility between two people. Then reconciliation is when God brings that back together and God initiated that reconciliation with us. He brought us back together, something we did not deserve, something we never could earn. Today, the imagery shifts again. And I I want to go down the path of of giving us another image that God gave us to better understand his grace. And for that, we, we shift into the imagery of family and particularly adoption. It's interesting in the Bible, there are lots of places where God talks about his sons and his daughters. And there are a few specific places where God tells us of his grace through the lens of adoption. And I'd I'd like for us to look at three of those places in Scripture today. 
So a lot of times on our Sunday morning time, we'll, we'll kind of focus in one passage. Today, I'd actually like for us to look at three. And uh, if you could turn to Ephesians, and then we will go to Galatians, and then we will come back to Romans, uh, the passage that Sharon read just a moment ago. Ephesians and Galatians and Romans. So that's going to be in the probably the last quarter of your Bible if you're new to the Bible, and all of us were new to the Bible at one point. If you have to use the table of contents to find it, that's no issue. I'd love for you to see the words for yourself. And of course, they'll be up on screen in a moment. But these are what what Ephesians and what Galatians and what Romans have is in common is they're all letters that one person wrote, the Apostle Paul. And these were letters written to Christians, but probably more specifically, they're written to groups of Christians who, who are churches. And he writes each one of these letters and he highlights all that Jesus has done for us. And that's kind of the starting point of what has, what has God done for us through Jesus Christ. But, but then it expands to like how we should live in light of what Jesus has done for us. And, and in the writing of these letters, Paul uses this word adoption. And I, I want to focus today on three ways that adoption helps us see God's grace. One in each of these books. Adoption is being brought into a family, receiving full privileges of a child. I, I came across this definition of it, and there are lots of other descriptions and definitions that would be helpful, but this is one. It's taken from a book called The Gospel-Centered Life. Adoption is the biblical truth that God has welcomed us into his family as his own sons and daughters by virtue of our union with Jesus. The sons and daughters, it's helpful for us to remember Bible language is going to regularly use adoption as sons because that was the culture. You, you adopted sons in that time period. You didn't adopt sons and daughters. But, but as we read scripture fully, we see all oh, this extends beyond just like males who've been adopted. This is sons and daughters. So let's make sure we keep that, that wide view. Adoption is that biblical truth that God's welcomed us into his family. So let's be on the lookout for words like adoption and sons and children and father. The first place that adoption can take us this morning is this. Adoption helps us see that God's love is no afterthought. It's planned. God's love for his people. We learn this through adoption and how scripture talks about adoption is no afterthought. It's been planned. And if you take notes and you don't get all of that, we'll come back to that. Let's, let's look at Ephesians and begin in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. So scripture says it this way, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, as he's starting out this book, opening verses, he is, this is a kind of a time of praise, isn't it? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now listen to the words here, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God, our father, according to these verses, is to be praised but then there are these words that, that we hear, big words like God chose 
and God predestined and all this happened according to the purpose of his will. And what we hear in those words of God choosing and God predestining and God working all this according to the purpose of his will, what we hear is we hear, if we are in Christ, our spiritual backstory. We hear our spiritual backstory. We're learning. We're putting together these big, big concepts. And, and two of the biggest ones that we could even come across are actually in this passage because one is talking about eternity. Scripture is speaking here of things that happened before the foundation of the world. So we've got to look back before this world was even a thing and we look back into eternity past. And also this is speaking of God's not just eternity, but also his sovereignty, his, his power, his control. So when we read about this, God chooses and he designs and he predestines. When we hear of unlimited time like eternity and unlimited power like God's sovereignty, we're in a different category than, than a lot that we can imagine. We don't have unlimited time at our disposal to do whatever we want. We don't have unlimited power at our disposal to do whatever we want. It'd probably be a scary thought if we did. But God does. So then the question you ask is, what does God do with eternity? And what, God, what does God do with his sovereignty? In Ephesians 1, make sure we connect some dots here. What God does with his sovereignty in eternity is he chooses and he loves. He loves. That's how he exercises his sovereignty. In love, he predestines us. Often when you read of God predestining, love is close by. That means he's not under any constraint. He wasn't backed into a corner to make his decision before the foundation of the world to love you, to love me. Who initiated our adoption? Our father did. What drove him to do this? This text says love drove him to do this. In love, he predestined. When did this happen? This happened before the foundation of the world. I remember this had to be, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. I remember uh, friends of Shauna and I were actually going through the process of adopting a child internationally. And I remember as that happened, and as we welcomed that, our, our friend's new child into this family, I remember my friends celebrated two dates related to this adopted child, to this sweet girl that was brought into their family. One of those dates was a birth date. And one date I learned new terminology. It was a gotcha date. And there was something beautiful about this is when, this is when you became a part of our family. And both those dates mattered. And without trying to be trite at all, when God marks the date that he got us, it's going to go back into eternity past before the foundation of the world. He loved us. He chose us. He predestined us. Adoption can just help us see that God's love is no afterthought, right? It's no afterthought. It's planned. It's his purpose. I'm, I'm not sure most of us 
could imagine what many children who have been orphaned might feel, the questions that might linger. I mean, we've seen maybe vignettes or documentaries on children looking into, like, what were the causes and what, what was going on then and what were the motivations. And, and here, if we will learn to trust God, our backstory, spiritually speaking, gets settled. The adopt, adoptive parents, they can speak a lot to timing and motivation and plans and hopes. And God is reminding us that when it comes to being a part of his family, our backstory is one of love. You know this, right? God never does random. God never does haphazard. Especially when it comes to showing his grace. It's intentional. So that we, like, make no mistake. So that we don't just kind of think we're lucky. We're not, we're not just lucky. We are loved. This is what scripture is telling us. Love is always an action. It's not just a feeling. Love gives. That's real love, not infatuation. Love even comes often with a, a deep, deep cost. And, and what we'll never be able to think is, well, I know I've been adopted into God's family, but maybe God did not know what he was getting. Maybe if he knew what I was. But keep reading Ephesians, all right? So you go to the next chapter in Ephesians 2, and it would say, That God knew all along we were children of wrath and children of disobedience. God knows this. He knew exactly what he was getting. We had broken loose from him. A difference in maybe our biblical understanding of adoption and and maybe what we understand of what was going on in Greco-Roman culture when this was written is most of the time adoption occurred when a person might notice an adult that really showed promise, like really was doing something with their life, but maybe didn't have roots and background. And so a family, a man might decide, I'm going to adopt this adult into my family because I see some promise here. And yet that is not exactly the way Ephesians describes how God adopted us. The word we just kind of keep coming back to is love or grace, a demonstration of God's love. What happens? What happens when we forget God decided in love to adopt us? The gospel-centered life says it this way. We live like orphans instead of sons and daughters. Rather than resting in God's fatherly, fatherly love, we try to gain his favor by living up to his expectations or our mistaken view of his expectations. We live life on a treadmill, trying to be good Christians so God will approve us. What ends up driving our relationship with God is one of maybe obligation or duty. When we forget, I've been adopted. I'm part of the family. Sometimes... You just feel this urge. I feel this urge. We want to make sure we present the right image in front of everybody. We look good. People people think of us as something. We have status and we have an identity. Then there are other times, kind of there's this flip side. We wonder, does anybody care? Does if God knows me, will he still love me? And this is 
This is God's way of making sure we're settled on our backstory. In love, he predestined, he chose us. He initiated our backstory and he wants us to know it. He brought you into his family. Ephesians 3 says he created a family. You're not an afterthought. No one likes being an afterthought. No one likes, well, oh yeah, we we can find some extra room for you. We didn't plan on you being here, but we can surely, well, we'll make this work. No one likes thinking that is the way they're kind of brought into a situation. It is what it is if that happens, but this is so, so different. And so it's God adopting us through Christ. When we trust him, this adoption is ours. We're adopted to him. We're accepted in the beloved. God's love is no afterthought. As we move from Ephesians to Galatians, in Galatians we see how adoption, adoption will help us see God's love isn't theoretical. It's actually personal. Adoption helps us see that God's love isn't theoretical, it's personal. Look at, look at Galatians 4, and again, we'll come back to this idea. Galatians chapter 4 says this, when the fullness of time had come, so again, we're talking about our backstory here, and this doesn't stretch like just the eternity, it kind of brings it up when the fullness of time had come, God initiated something, God sent forth his son And now we find uh, exactly what he did. He was born of a woman. This is talking about Jesus. Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. And he did this so that we might receive adoption as sons. You get some more details on the backstory, but nothing's contradicting what we already know. God initiated this backstory. It's initiated by God and it's settled. We receive adoption, this verse says. We don't earn it, but... But then listen to how personal it gets. So kind of we've covered our backstory, but, but listen to how personal it gets in verse 6. And because, because you are sons, because you have received adoption, you didn't earn it, God has not just sent his son, but God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I love this because it's, it takes us, yes, the father initiated this love. In love, he predestined, he chose. And God, the son came to redeem. Yes, Jesus Christ came to redeem. But this says God has sent his Holy Spirit as well. And it's meant for assurance. We're meant through adoption to see that God's love isn't just theoretical. It's personal. It's meant for assurance. We're not just an orphan, but according to Galatians 4, we also were a slave. And we need assurance that God has worked something out. How could we go from being a slave to being a part of the family? How could that happen? Only God could do that. In ancient Rome, if you were to go to any of the big cities or kind of capitals of the provinces, if you were to go to Ephesus or you were to go to Rome or Corinth or Philippi, well, adoption was thought about in this way. Again, someone might not have an heir to their position, their title, their property, 
their name. And so they might find a slave who's hardworking, showed some promise. And they would change that slave and initiate something very different and that slave would become a son. No longer owned by someone else, but have full rights as a son. As a slave, you can imagine if you're owned by someone else, or maybe we can't even imagine, how we would always wonder, who am I going to reach out to for help? Who would, who would feel some sort of compelling reason to give me help, to give me assistance? We might still be tempted to feel like a slave with no one to help, no one to turn to. But scripture kind of pulls this out of the realm of theory and puts it in the realm of something very, very personal. So God did not just send his son, he also sent his Holy Spirit. And it says in that, that the Holy Spirit is meant to draw something out of our heart, to cry out to our Father, Abba, Father. And translations are always tricky. In this one, it's hard to, hard to find the exact word that gives the same meaning as Abba. I know in some cultures, it probably would have the same, same kind of response as Papa. But whatever, it's, it's meant to be a cry of affection and trust. There could be those here who wonder, like wonder where they are with God. Wonder if they have been accepted, welcomed into the family. And God has sent his spirit into our lives so that we would cry out, you're my father, I need you. Father, help. Father, protect. Father, give me peace. Kids, ask their parents for things. This is what they were meant to do. And and this is the imagery It's about a relationship, not just theory, not just some kind of understanding that we could sketch out on paper, but something that goes on in our heart to cry out to God. I wonder sometimes if church kind of digresses into just a place where, you know, you were taught growing up, you ought to get yourself in church. You kind of know you ought to be a religious person. You ought to be a moral person. And a lot of religious, moral people find themselves at church on a Sunday morning. And if that's you, I'm glad you're here. What I would just say is, that is such just a sliver of what God had in mind when he showed us grace. I mean, when we hear adoption, we're not hearing formalities. We're hearing something very, very real. If I'm a slave, I'm asking, what does my master think? What's my status? Where's my life going? But when I'm a child, brought into the family, welcomed into the family, I don't have to look out for myself. I can actually go to my father and cry out to him as first priority rather than last resort. It can be a part of my day instead of just something I kind of go through the motions of once a week. I can pray 
And maybe you've had to pray like that. This week I can pray saying, God, my Father, I am not able to fix life. I am not able to fix people, including myself. I am not able to fix all my problems and all the problems that seem to surround me. Abba, Father, I need help. An adoption is meant to take what could be theoretical and move it quickly into the personal and tell us you have the privilege of crying out to your Heavenly Father. And upon your faith in Jesus, you're a part of his, God's family through Christ. Adoption tells us God's love is personal, not theoretical. As we move from Ephesians to Galatians to Romans, there's one other thing I'd like for us to see, and that is in Romans, what Sharon read a moment ago, adoption helps us see that God's love isn't just past. We've talked about the past. We've talked about eternity past before the foundation of the world. And God's love is not just something in the present where we have something that we can say this afternoon when life seems chaotic or tomorrow morning when we we deal with the uncertainties of what, what tomorrow may bring. We can cry out and say, Abba, Father, in the present, we can do that. But actually, adoption tells us that God's love isn't just constrained by the past and the present. There's actually, adoption is our future. It is our future. It has results, and it tells us something about what, where our life is going I, I, I want us to land in that passage of Romans 8 that Sharon read a moment ago in Romans 8 and verse 12. And when we pick up in verse 12 of Romans 8, we're obviously skipping a lot of the backstory of Romans and Romans 8 particularly. But, but listen, so then brothers, Paul would say, we could add, and sisters, we're debtors. We're debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. And then we start hearing these words like, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Sons and daughters, if you will. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received, you didn't, you didn't deserve this, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself Look at verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, then fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer, let's take note of this, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So a lot of Romans 8, 12 to 17 is revisiting the same ground we've been at. Okay, we we understand that the Spirit has come to assure us of our place in God's family. But this says something even a little bit further in verse 16. It says the spirit bears witness with our spirit. There's sometimes when life gets so hard and gets so challenging that we begin to wonder if we're going crazy, if we're really able to process everything. We're in so deep and, and maybe the pain is so difficult. We begin to wonder like, am I like reading this whole situation right? in those moments where we could be prone to fear and prone to worry. Scripture says so clearly, you did not receive a spirit of slavery so that you would just be overcome with fear and worry. 
but you received a spirit of adoption. And the Holy Spirit is going to be the witness that you are indeed a child of God. There's so much about the Holy Spirit that seems mysterious to me. There's so much that I don't know that I'll understand all of it till I I see the Lord and faith becomes sight. But I know there are these instances where I begin to wonder and question with all that I've done with where I'm living is, is, is it a reality that I am part of God's family or am I just like trying to make this up in my mind? I don't know how to explain it other than there are moments where the Holy Spirit, as a person, personally assures me, you are a child of God. Not by anything you've done, by, by what Christ has done for you. Bearing witness with our spirit, you are a child of God. This adoption is amazing, and yet Paul, right after talking about adoption and being a son and an heir, says... Oh yeah, and there's suffering that you're going to go through. It does make us question, okay, so if in the past I, I, my adoption settled, my backstory that I, I'm in the family, and in the present I can cry out to God, what, what about the future? Because it seems like it, as I go toward the future, it doesn't seem like things get easy, less complicated. It seems like I'm dealing with a lot of hard things in life. Is there something wrong with this world that limits my like, full appreciation, full experience of adoption? Is there something better that God designed when he adopted me? Is there something new to look forward to, something that could change everything for the better? Is there something that will resolve? As Paul picks up that theme of suffering in Romans 8, and I just want to keep reading in Romans 8 verse 18, Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation does wait with eager longing for the revealing of who exactly are the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Life will be futile. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself one day will be set free from bondage. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Verse 22. For we know that all of creation is groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not just creation. But Paul says we who are followers of Jesus Christ. We are groaning as well. Oh yeah we have the first taste. The first fruits of the Holy Spirit. But we're waiting. We're waiting eagerly for Adoption. We're waiting for the full enjoyment of that, the redemption of our bodies. For we were saved in this hope. Now, hope that is seen isn't hope, but who who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it. We wait for it with patience. Adoption tells us, yeah, we might be groaning now, but our future is to know the full experience of being brought into the family. There are times even as a parent, you try to convey to your kids, I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad you're in our family. I'm so glad God 
chose to put you in this family. You do that, you, you want to communicate that, and you, you feel inadequate. And I think there's a sense this side of the new heavens and the new earth where we get that first taste and we have assurance. But one day the faith becomes sight and there will be no more fears and no more worries and no more questions and no more doubts and no more uncertainty. But we will be glorified. We wait and we hope. But what Romans 8 does is it takes off the table any thought that God's going to change his mind. That any thought of, well, I'm going through a hard time, so I wonder if God really meant what he said. I want to leave you with a couple of scripture promises. One is in 1 John 3. The word's a command there, isn't it? And the word see is, just doesn't even quite, I think, get the full force of this word. It's like, take a look at this. Behold, look what kind of love the Father has given to us. Church, that's what I've wanted you to do this morning. That we should be called children of God. And I love this. And so we are. Because God has done it. One more promise. Romans 8, 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So a question for you today, and it might be a pretty obvious question, but I don't think I can like responsibly end this time in God's word looking at adoption without asking you, are you a part of God's family? Are you his son? Are you his daughter? Have you personally experienced this grace? Have you tasted it? What, what would prevent you today, if the answer is like, I'm not sure or no, what would prevent you from putting your trust in Jesus Christ? What would be an obstacle there? Couldn't you just take the first step of faith this morning? And if, if you had doubts, if you had questions, if you had uncertainties, couldn't you be willing to face those today? I mean, could, could you talk to someone? There will be people up front. I, I'll be in the back. There's other pastors. I, you might even have a friend that they would love for you to walk through those questions that you might have. Are you part of God's family? And the next question kind of follows on the heels of that. If you are, are you enjoying the full benefits of being in the family? Or, or are you living like you're outside the family. Did you this week find yourself crying out to God saying, Abba, Father. At some point recently, have you felt the assurance that you are in Christ, that you have been adopted into his family? Or has your heart kind of just moved from that and gotten cold and distant, distant from the Father's care? Well, the good news is God has tracked you down. Because he never intended for you to live without knowing his care and his love. So he's tracked us down today and reminded us once again that I need his love, I need his care, and maybe even 
more specifically, I need to talk to him. I need to cry out to him. Based on my adoption, I need to talk to my Heavenly Father. And if that's you, I want to give you space to do just that this morning. So can I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes? Just for a moment. Let us be reminded again, we are part of God's family. We're not slaves, we're not orphans. We're sons, we're daughters. Father, you know exactly which ones of us in the room needed to hear that. Need to be reminded we're not outside the family, but inside. And I thank you just even for the reminder that your spirit goes to work on us. So I pray that you would do that, bearing witness with our spirit. If it's true, bearing witness with our spirit that we are your children. I pray that your children in this room would cry out to you a lot more this week maybe than we did last week. Help us sense our need uh, more quickly. And I pray that we would be met with the warm, compassionate arms of a father. Thank you for your love. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.